The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Cat Show. This is Lori Schwartz here bringing you tech trends impacting your business. And I'm actually calling you from the road today. I'm in New York City attending Advertising Week and running around seeing all sorts of panels talking about ad tech and martech. So it's very fitting that I dial in from the West Coast, Mr. Peter Horan, who is the principal at Horan Media Tech Advisors. And Peter is a well-known tech media tech advisor, um, talking to many different startups, has been a president of many different uh, companies in the advertising and technology business. And when anybody has any question about the future of anything (laughs) in (laughs) advertising and marketing technology, Peter is the first one they ring up. So, so great to have you, Peter. Come and say hi. Well, it's great to be here, Lori. It's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to our chat. Well, I, wanted, I want you to fill everybody in on, on what you're doing with Horan um, Media Tech Advisors and, and just how you're approaching this crazy disruptive space, because I know you've, you've been a CEO of many different companies, of, you've led companies, startups to successful exits. Give us a sense of, of, of what you're doing now and, and how you're playing in this crazy world. Okay. And actually, the notion of constant change and craziness actually underlies what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Uh, About five years ago, I realized that, if anything, the pace of change was starting to accelerate. And and previously, I gave a talk, and it was called From Gutenberg to Google and Beyond. And I said, you know, the world of publishing had changed more between 2000 and 2010 than it had in the 500 years before that, since Gutenberg invented the printing press. And I venture to say it's changed more in the last five years that it changed in the previous 10 and more than in the previous 500. And so what I decided was I needed to do, I'll say, a postgraduate course in (laughs) the next generation of of media and advertising. And so I specifically set out to explore the four or five major technologies that I thought were going to change, I'll say, publishing broadly as we know it. And that included the rise of mobile, the rise of social, uh, data-driven ad targeting, uh, and different different aspects of e-commerce, including beacons and personalization, are some of the biggest things I've been focused on. And so with that, I I started to really look at uh, investing in companies and advising companies that were on the forefront of those different trends. Because one of the things I've noticed is everything sounds good and sounds really, really easy when you go to advertising week, right? Somebody gets up, a CEO gets up at the podium and waves their arms and magic, you know, this is all going to be transformed. 
And, of course, the reality is much messier and harder than that. And so what I wanted to actually understand is what's possible, what's desirable, what's optimal, and how are companies going to be using that as we go forward? And so that's been the sort of basis of my investment and advising theses over the last five years. And what was your background prior to this? Because I know right right now publishing and a lot of these different companies are all around MarTech and AdTech. Was that always what you did with your career? Uh, pretty much. I mean, as, as you know, because we're friends, I'm older than dirt. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I, I actually I started working in advertising and high technology uh, within about three or four years after the phrase Silicon Valley was invented by Don Heffler. And so, you know, he came up with that phrase in Electronic News in 1973. And by 1977, I was out of college at Santa Clara and was doing things like advertising uh, and, and marketing the first kit computers, S100 kit computers, on the floor of the second West Coast Computer Fair in San Jose. Uh, actually, in 1975, I wrote the owner's manual for the first home video game, Pong. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. You wrote the manual to Pong? Yeah, it wasn't much of a manual. Twist the knob, <laughs> see the dot move, twist the knob again. <laughs> but that was. But we had an owner's manual. Um, but, um, and so I go back through like five or six generations of technology, uh, usually on the media and advertising end of it, but everything from personal computers, uh, cell phones, uh, Windows and graphical user interfaces, the internet, now social media. Is it is it natural then for you to be able to spot a trend and and pound on it, follow it, identify the right companies? Does it does it come naturally to you, or does it just because you're in the circle, people are pitching you, and so you start to see trends, or are you? going after companies that you think are interesting? Because people are always asking me, how do you know? And it just seems to me that I'm in this circle where things flow in and out, and so it's not that hard for me anymore to spot trends. How, how does it work for you? Uh, well, I think it is akin to what you just said about your own practice, in that I sort of put myself in places. I'm actively looking for interesting new technologies, interesting new companies. And if you see enough of them, and, and you can start to cross-reference and say, okay, well, how does this work? How does that work? How do you compare to this company? You can start to form this parallax view of, of where the trends are going. I think the other thing that, that for me was an important insight is one of the most, I think, brilliant futurists is a guy named Ray Kurzweil. Uh, and he's got all sorts of patents, and he's a great inventor. Mr. Singularity. Exactly, right? the singularity. <laughs> um, but he also, but he has really done some pretty compelling quantitative research on, on, on the way technology trends arrive. And, and there's an insight in there, you know, and I'll boil kind of 50 years of his life down to one slide. But it's that we as human beings always want the future to appear in this linear fashion, you know, you got a little bit today, you got a little more tomorrow, a little more the day after that. And so you sort of see it coming and can absorb it and go, okay, I get it. This is the trend. And what Kurzweil realized was, in fact, the future arrives in this, like, really logarithmic way. And he's plotted this against all kinds of different technology where it sort of bumps along along the bottom of a curve and nothing's happening. Everything. See, I told you that Internet thing wasn't real. I told you that mobile thing was never going to happen. 
And then all of a sudden it hits an inflection point and it explodes and it goes almost straight up. And then it starts to, to tap over again. But there's only a very, very tiny moment when the reality of this future arriving actually lines up with our expectations as people. Because otherwise it's either going too slowly or going too fast. But it's very, very rarely just right. And so in, in my experience, the other kind of bumper sticker that I work with is the sci-fi novelist William Gibson had a great quote. He said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And the point there is that, again, the future doesn't necessarily arrive with a flashing sign that said, look at me, I'm the future, I'm here. It's, it's, it's present in a lot of different places if you're looking for it. And the things that'll be a big deal in five years or ten years are pretty much already invented. They're already there. Um, and, and we just have to be more open to seeing it because in a lot of cases what happens with, with individuals and companies is we see what we expect to see. And, and we, you know, it's like we, we have a certain pattern recognition. Oh, this is the way things are. Right, and, right, and, right. And until something slams into our pattern recognition like a Greyhound bus, we don't usually change our expectations. So when you, because right now I've been um, kind of excited but also fearful of autonomous driving and cars. And on the positive, exciting side, it, they look so cool. And I love the idea of myself not having to drive because driving in Los Angeles is very stressful and it interrupts all my texting and everything else I'm trying to do. But, um, but the side of it that scares me is, um, and not the futuristic piece, but the idea that it's going to really impact the economy of the U.S. And there's all these doomsday reports that the future of driving will basically, you know, unemploy most of America and things like that. So is that what you mean? Like my expectations are, you know, sort of been created by press and also by um, science fiction movies? Uh, well, actually, so two different thoughts there. One is, if you're living in L.A. and driving on the L.A. freeways, a, a self-driving car can't be any more dangerous than most of the people <laughs> I see on the freeway every day. It's like, you know, you look over and you see somebody reading the newspaper, putting on makeup, God forbid, texting. That it, would be it, me. Right, 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 all at once. Yeah. But, right, right. But you're on a freeway full of people doing exactly that thing. Um, and, and, you know, all the evidence is that cars are less likely to make mistakes than people are. You know, they don't let pilots really fly those airplanes, right? For the most part, pilots fly the computers and the computers fly the airplanes. And so to that extent, uh, I actually think that you'll have less traffic and fewer accidents when we turn the driving over to the machines. So that right, right. doesn't really scare me all that much. You know, it used to be, oh, my God, we should be very afraid of calculators because you won't know how to do long division. And right, somehow right. or other, we've all gotten by without doing long division or without doing multi six times multiplication, you know, with pencil and paper. Um, but it's just that that sort of but, – but, but and I think this goes to something that I, I truly believe, which is technology changes quickly and people change slowly. Yeah. And, and so on both sides, right, it's like we, we are afraid of change. We're afraid of new technologies. We, we know how things are supposed to happen. When, when voicemail was first introduced, people were like, oh, I, I could never leave a message on a machine. And, and, and companies were like, oh, my God, it'd be so rude to have people not have a live person. They've got to have a secretary or something or a receptionist. They can't just 
talk to a machine. Right. And, you know, and, right. It's like, but it took a while, but 20 years, you know, when ATMs came out, people, you know, they were kind of okay with taking money out because you got the bank's money. But people, it took them probably 10, 15 years before they were willing to put money, put a check into the ATM. And I even work with bankers who are afraid to put their paycheck into an ATM. Right, right, right. It's like, wait, I'm putting my check through a hole in the wall and maybe it'll work. And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, so it's sort of, so, so that's actually one of the things, you know, is always think about is, you know, when technology is adopted quickly, it's because it ties into a human need. Like Facebook took off, not because people wanted a social network, but because they wanted to brag about their kids and connect with their friends from high school. And that need was there. And Facebook just facilitated it and accelerated it. And when technology goes slowly, it's because it, it, it crosses a human need, right? It's like one of the problems with 3D glasses and 3D movies was nobody wanted to sit around with their family with, with these goofy glasses on and they right, felt stupid. Right. You know, same thing with Google Glass. It might have, yeah. worked, might have been interesting, but people just felt so damn stupid that it wasn't worth the trouble. That, that's actually how I feel about virtual reality to a certain extent. You know, the browser-based stuff I love the idea of, but to be putting something on my face, uh, you know, you know uh, when, when I make a living with this face, I, I don't like that. It's <laughs> such a nice face that it is. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're going um, to take a break in a moment, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing pop up right now. And, um, you know, I recently read a really interesting article that you wrote about Levi's and how they missed a major trend. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that because that goes right to, you know, how you're advising companies. So when we come back, the tech cat and the advisor continue. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. 
And we're back now. Tech Trends and the Tech Head here speaking to the fabulous Peter Horan of Horan Media Tech Advisors. Peter, when we were um, just chatting, we were going to talk a little bit about trends and how you actually identify them and what you are seeing right now. What companies and trends are you really excited about right now? Yeah, well, actually, you mentioned uh, Levi's uh, and, and kind of a big, tre- big you trend. You wrote a fa- fabulous article about Levi's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is available on HaranMediaTech.com. <laughs> but, um, but um, no, and the reason I want to talk about that is that it's, it's easy for folks on Main Street to think that trends happen with technology or entertainment. They kind of happen over there. And, and one of the things I think is significant is that, you know, it, it's that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, Silicon Valley was a place and it was fairly confined and didn't really uh, concern itself with Washington, D.C., wasn't really a big deal on Main Street or Wall Street. And and now what we're seeing more and more is that technology is genuinely pervasive and is changing the way people live and and do business every day. And so trends that happen in Silicon Valley tend to ripple through the rest of America and the world pretty quickly. But before we go there, um, the article I read about Levi's was interesting to me uh, because I generally, you know, I mean, I, th- I really respect Levi's. It's always been one of the great American brands. They hire smart people. You know, they've got squadrons of market researchers. But Levi's revenue has dropped by thirty percent over the last few years. Gosh! And and there are two big two things they missed. One I think is is small. One of which is big. The small thing they missed was that, not shockingly, women wanted jeans that fit better and had a little stretch to them. And again, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think this is like top secret information. <laughs> but, 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 Especially if I'm sitting in that car texting and eating. I want right. stretchy pants. <laughs> <laughs> but they got that wrong. They, they did not have jeans that women thought fit that way. Yeah, that uh, looked good. That yeah. looked really good. Yeah, yeah flattering. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of like, okay, that's kind of your core business. you got to get that right. But the bigger one, which I think is instructive for all kinds of businesses, is they totally misread the trend towards yoga pants. And, right. and, this, and this goes back to you know, their self-image was, hey, we do jeans. Jeans are America's casual and leisure wear. Uh, maybe we worry about Lee and Wrangler on the cowboy side or about Lucky and AG on the fashion side. But we're in a jeans category. And so what they didn't really think about was from the consumer side, it's like, hey, I'm putting something on to drive the kids to school, to go to the grocery store, maybe to work out. Uh, and I could put on yoga pants just as easily as I could put on jeans. And so they, because they didn't consider yoga pants a competitor, they completely missed the huge influx of, of, of women wearing yoga pants. Uh, you know, they're not just for yoga anymore. And, and the, the problem there is, you know, if they did a statistical analysis, right, well, you know, like a few years back, well, what's the market for yoga pants? Oh, it's pretty damn small compared to jeans. Because, you know, how many people take yoga? Half of them are women. How many pairs of yoga pants do they buy a year? That's not a big market. But what they didn't notice was the sort of the, the, the flexibility, the fungibility, that suddenly yoga pants could become the casual pants of choice. It would be as if 100 years ago somebody said, well, Levi's are only serve cowboys and miners. You know, how big is that market? That's a pretty small market. And, right, they did, right. and they didn't think that, oh, well, these will just become people wear every day. 
Well, so they completely, by not actually keeping an eye on their consumers and how they're living their life, they completely missed that whole trend. And how could they have done that? Because I, I would assume that they're doing focus group work all the time, that they are talking to women, that they are um, meeting with advisors and consultants who are you know, giving them that insight. I mean, and I know many brands are often too inside, so they miss what's going on around them. But I, I would think a fashion brand would would really be have an understanding of like you know consumer behavior yeah um and I, th- I think it goes back to the notion of you know seeing what you expect to see and and so uh, companies there are uh, one of one of the things i'm fascinated by is why the strategic planning process is so badly broken you know because mm-hmm. you know and one of the companies i always pick on is a company called digital equipment corporation and uh, in, and, and I give a talk on this. I have a slide which is titled "Great to Gone in One Generation." <laughs> and it, well, no, it's a logo build of like twenty, thirty companies that were a big deal. I'll say in the United States, but many globally, twenty years ago, and are now out of business. And it, it, just to reinforce the notion that you know that that just because you're successful one day is no guarantee you'll continue to be successful. And so Digital Equipment Corporation in 1995 was the second largest computer company in the world. They were second only to IBM. And I knew a lot of people that worked at Digital Equipment Corporation. They didn't hire drunks or drug addicts or suicidal people, at least not more than most companies. And when they have a strategic planning meeting, they didn't all sit there and say, hey guys, what can we do to put the company out of business today? But they sat in some hotel conference room with a bunch of MBAs and consultants and ate bad Danish, and, and came <laughs> up with a strategic plan. You've been in that room, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Right, right, right. But they all sat there and came up with a plan that effectively put the company out of business. Right. And, and I tend to think that what happens is they, they fall in love with these sort of business bumper stickers that sound like they make sense, but are really deadly. Like, you know, it's like you say, well, let's focus on our best customers. Well, what could be wrong with that, right? Focus on your best customers. Uh, focus on our, our key competitors. But what it does is it, it has you over-focus over on kind of your current business, your current customers, and completely disregard substitutes. Right. And, and, and so, you know, Clay Christensen obviously has written a lot about this. And what companies do over time as they try to become more efficient, more profitable, is they disenfranchise more and more customers. And what it does, it opens the door for somebody to come in and be disruptive. And usually the companies that come in have got a product that's somewhat inferior, but it's cheaper and it's more accessible. Um, and so, you know, and, and you say, oh, I'm going to worry about the, the competitors that I see across the lobby, right? So Levi's gets locked up worrying about what is Lee and Wrangler doing and what, you know, what product is Lucky Jeans introducing. And, you know, and if they have a focus group, they ask people about, well, what kind of jeans do you like? What kind of denim do you like? How do you like your jeans to fit? But they don't ever say, so, tell me, how do you feel about your yoga pants? And what right. else? <laughs> well, no, so, so, so basically, it's the question that they didn't ask that's going to kill them. Right, right. And you know what's so funny about everything that you're saying, 
And I, I wish, like, you know, you would be uh, at client meetings before I get up to <laughs> kind of sell what I do because so much of what I talk about is constant education, right? Yep. It's like keeping that new information flowing in. And companies don't want to pay for that until it's too late. Right. And that's the only way to understand what's going on is to have that flow continuously coming in and operationalize that flow, right? Yeah. Well, and also, what, what, back to my notion about technology changes quickly and people change slowly. One of the things I always think is behavior is much more important than opinions. That, so what you want to watch is what people do, not what they say. And so in addition to sort of asking people in a focus group, which is an artificial setting anyway, Go to the mall, sit there, watch people walk up. You know, if you've got a retail product, watch people walk up and down the aisles. What are they doing? What are they wearing? How are they shopping? What are they picking up? Um, you know, and, and for, you know, because people will, they'll, they'll say what they think they're supposed to say, what they think you want to hear. You know, um, the, the, the two classic failures of market research, one was uh, in the 50s, a, a zillion years ago, was a cake mix, and uh, Duncan Hines invented this gorgeous new cake mix that tasted good, made a nice cake, yeah. and all you had to do was add water. And they did focus groups. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, that'd be great. Every they launched the they launched the product, and it's a huge bust. No mm. one will buy this product. And when they and they couldn't figure out why, so they went back and they started talking to people, and they had to ask an indirect question. So, what type of person? Would, would buy this product. Oh, she's a bad mother. This is oh. only, someone who, <laughs> only someone who doesn't love her family would get a cake mix that you only add water to. Right, right. And, 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 and so what they did is they, 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 they then basically did something they didn't need to do, but they had the homemaker add an egg as this kind of conscience bomb, and then that was okay. Now I feel better about myself because I cracked an egg. And that was, you know, but, but that was a case, though, where they, they, they sort of ask the wrong questions. And the other, yeah. and the other obvious uh, failure of market research was uh, New Coke in the 80s. Where, right, that was a big bust. Right, but, but see, but on, on the surface, they thought they were asking the right questions. They, they said, oh, well, which, what, which, which of these drinks do you prefer? And people said, oh, I prefer that one, which is what became New Coke. And then when it came out, though, it's like, what the hell do you mean that's New Coke? Coke is Coke. You can't do that. Right, right, right. And, and, what they had, and so what they missed was sort of the human side of some of these decisions. And, you know, and, and, and people, you know. When Damn they, humans. Damn them. Yes, yes. If only machines <laughs> would buy product. But, well, no, no, but, see, but, that's the, see, but that then becomes, even in terms of, um, you know, uh, understanding trends and technology, it's understanding how those trends intersect with people. You know, everybody wants to be younger, skinnier, sexier, smarter, richer, right? It's like, and so it's like, it does this, oh. <laughs> did I miss anything? <laughs> well, no, I was just thinking, God, that sounds exhausting, but yes. <laughs> well, no, but it's like, okay, but then it's like, you know, and they want beautiful, smart, polite children and a, a thoughtful spouse and, uh, you know, but, but that's what people really, really want. And, and then the question is, okay, what does technology have me, you know, get me, or has it get me closer to those things I really, really want, right? Does it get me, does posting pictures of my kids and I get them on their best day and clean them up and it goes, oh my God, your kid is gorgeous. 
You know, it's like, okay, so it gets me that esteem. I get, I get bragging rights. Um, or, oh, I ran the New York Marathon, and it's like, oh, you're so great, you did that. Uh, and so it's like, do they care about Facebook? No. Do they want a social network? No. But what they want is they want that sort of love and approval from their friends. You know, they want a feeling of connectedness. And so that's actually, I think, the thing that we, we always try to, dis- to, to, to take out of the equation is it's always, oh, it's faster, it's cheaper. It's, but at some very, very fundamental, as a Maslow's hierarchy of need, the top of the stack is always that self-esteem. Or, you know, right, because uh, we're dealing with, we're, we're dealing with actual, humans. Actualization and esteem, I think, are the top. Right, right. It's like, and, and so, when you, and so a, a zillion years ago, Oh, wait, Peter, hold that thought because we're going to come right back and dig more into a zillion years ago. (laughs) And also a little bit, I want to get into some of the companies that you're working with because it's a fascinating lift. So when we come back, more with Peter Haran, the advisor. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. The key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology. StoryTech, a boutique agency, empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message, engage your customers, and raise the bottom line. How do you track and exploit the trends? How do you stay ahead of industry disruption? And how do you maximize profit from content? From strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform. Innovate. Create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. This is Liam Neeson. You're listening to Radio Everyone. I just need one minute of your time. Hi, I'm Sabrina, and I'm from Australia. I'm 14 years old. In 2030, I'll be 29 years old. By 2030, climate change will no longer threaten our planet. By 2030, we'll have prevented the predicted sea level rises, saving small island states. By 2030, we'll have fewer natural disasters and all countries will be better equipped to cope with them. By 2030, we will be aware and educated about climate change. Our leaders have agreed a plan to deliver 17 goals that will change our world. Combating climate change is one of them. That's what they've promised us. To find out more... Go to globalgoals.org. And please, help us tell everyone. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to lori at techcat.tv. That's lori at techcat.tv. And welcome back to the Tech Cat Show. Lori Schwartz here, and we're talking with Peter Haran, the advisor. And Peter was just kind of guiding us about um, Maslow's, what is it called? Maslow's Maslow's hierarchy of need. And, you know, it, well, no, it starts with, you know, the most fundamental stuff, safety, food and shelter. And then it goes up through esteem and up to self-actualization. And the premise is that, 
you know, that you've got to basically eat and have a safe, warm, safe place before you can worry about higher order thoughts like, you know, do, do, do people respect me and am I fulfilling my potential as a human? Um, but, you know, given that a lot of folks, you know, are able to feed and clothe themselves and have a, have a roof, there, there's always these sort of, you start to worry about how can I make my life better? And the story I wanted to share was uh, about 30 years ago, we were doing the first marketing research on cell phones. This also is why it's hard to do market research on new technology products. And we had a group of people there and said, you know, so how do you feel about a cell phone? They said, I don't want one. Well, well why don't you want one? Um, oh, well, you know, maybe if I was like a, uh, a, a lawyer or a, like a high guy, high price sales guy, I would want one. But I'm just an ordinary person. I, I don't want a, I don't want a cell phone. I can't. I, I don't need one. I can't use one. I don't want one. Keep it on my car. Oh, okay. And it was sort of frustrating at first because, like, well, why? What's going on here? And again, realized we're asking the wrong questions. And the father was like, okay, so tell me this. Have you ever been stuck in traffic on that LA freeway? Uh, oh, yeah, all the time. Have you ever been, like, late for a meeting? Oh, yeah, yeah, all the Well, how do you feel when you're late for that meeting? Oh, I get so stressed. All right, what do you do when you're stressed? Oh, I got to decide, like, do I sort of stay on the freeway and keep going? I know I'm going to be later, and I'm just, like, chewing myself up because I'm getting later and later, and the person doesn't know where I am. Or do I get off the freeway and go find a payphone when there were payphones? And is it working? Can I find it? Is it in a bad neighborhood? Is it raining? Is it dirty? It's like, oh, yeah, that, that, that really, that, that's stressful. Oh, yeah, really stressful. Well, suppose you could just make a call from the car and tell them that you were on the way. Oh, that'd be great. That's okay. Now, a couple minutes ago, you told me you didn't want a cell phone. <laughs> well, no, yeah, it's, so, like, yeah. it's like, I don't want a cell phone. I just want to have the ability to make a phone call and tell people I'm on my way. And, yeah. that's, you know, and that's like before you, know, you get the, you know, the elaborate, it's a camera, it's a personal diary, it's a book reader. It's a, but the just smart that, part. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But just the, the simple, but, but, but the reason, and when we got down to it, it was, a little bit around, they didn't understand how it would fit in their life, and they didn't understand how, like, they had a notion of how expensive it would be, and if it was sort of less expensive, then, oh yeah, I'd like, I would really like to to get rid of that stress in my life if I could afford to. Well, you know, I specifically remember texting my family and texting some friends of mine, you know, in the early days of all this madness, because I always had uh, cell phones because I worked on movies, and so they would always sign them out to you. Yeah. And so I had one before anybody, and I would be texting friends of mine, and they would literally yell at me for causing financial charges to them. Yes. And, and it, to me, I didn't think like that because I wasn't getting the bill and I didn't even realize at that moment in time that that was the business scenario, you know. And then years later, I think about it. I'm like, that is so funny. Like people were so uptight about the newness of it and what it meant, you know, yes. the implications. Yep. Uh, you know? Now, now, by the way, but there's a, there's a really interesting point there which uh, touches on a lot of businesses that are exploding right now. And it's taking friction out of the system. Yeah. So, so, so it used to be that you had to worry about roaming and roaming charges and, and texting charges. And, and they started to go to the all-you-can-eat plans. They started to make the roaming you know, invisible. They started to make long-distance calls free. And it's like so what happened with Amazon with uh, Prime, right? Because initially it was 
you know, oh, well, how much, what's shipping going to be and, and what do they have? And, and then suddenly it's like, press one button, be here in two days, shipping is free, they've got all my information, and magically stuff just appears. And they took all the friction out of the system. You know, Uber took the friction out of getting cabs. And it, right, it's, and that's it, right. Yeah, and so, 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 so the, the technology trends that are, you know, in addition to sort of, like I said, satisfying those basic human needs, the other trends that are really taking off and are just explosive are ones where you've got a, I'll say, a high-friction system, and they figured out how to take a lot of the friction out of the system. You know, and so, what, what, you know, so what are some examples of that? Because I know you're, you're actually working with some of these companies now. Okay. Well, I, I think for me, one of the classics, and it, it's not a new company, but we have very successfully reinvented it, is LendingTree. And if you, before LendingTree, uh, which was part of the first wave of internet companies, getting a mortgage was this hard, scary process. And, and, and just like, like the way Edmunds and some other companies have, have taken the leverage in buying cars and moved it from the car dealer side of the table to the consumer side of the table, LendingTree you know, had that very, very strong premise of when banks compete, you win. And what they said to the consumers is, okay, we're going to put you in the, the power seat. We're going to get you, you give us your information. We're going to have these banks, you know, bid for your business. And, and, and consumers responded really, really well because they said, yeah, we like that idea. I don't have to, you know, go with my hat in my hand and beg the mortgage officer at the bank. I don't right. have to, you know, worry do the, about Do the work myself, frankly, yeah. too. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, but that, that's a case, though. And we've continued to adapt that uh, over time. Now it's credit cards and it's personal lending. So as the market has evolved, we've continued against the same core premise, right? And so it's from a human perspective, it's the same basic thing, which is, hey, you want to get a good deal. You don't want to get taken by the banks or the lenders. And, and LendingTree is going to give you the tools to make you a winner. And, so, and people like that sense of, hey, I got a good deal. And, and so, again, very human, you know, it, it works on a very human level. Technology linking to a human need. Yeah, it's so interesting, too, because you even think of the name LendingTree, and I've been talking to um, some folks at different brands that, you know, still do wonderful work, but their name no longer works for the, the current era, you know, or, the, or something has happened and the language or the words or the branding is all of a sudden, you know, anachronistic. And so what happens then? I mean, I'm not saying the lending tree is in that situation, but, you know, it feels to me like, you know, you constantly have to even be looking at culturally, you know, what's in your name. Yep. And then how do you use it? Right. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of something we got wrong on lending tree. Uh, and, and so it was lending tree. And we thought that we had equity in the word tree, T-R-E-E. That became the stock symbol. And huh. then, we, then we started thinking about doing brand extensions. We got degree tree and other kinds of tree, insurance tree. And it didn't work at all. because yeah. Well, no, because what happened, though, in the consumer's mind, our equity was in the word lending, not the word tree. And so they'll, they'll give us permission to do credit cards, uh, you know, uh, uh, personal loans, stuff like that, and all kinds of mortgages, but they weren't quite so sure that we could do uh, insurance or home repairs or education loans. And so that became, but it's like, but it's an interesting, you know, it's like, and this goes back to the Levi's conversation, where it's one thing for Levi's to recognize that there's a trend towards yoga pants, 
But with a brand that's as strongly established as Levi's, as the blue jeans brand, right? They are blue jeans. It's like, will the consumer accept blue uh, yoga pants from the blue jeans company? You know, McDonald's is suffering right now. And part of that is that, you know, McDonald's is well known for its french fries, its hamburgers, its milkshakes. Um, the stuff not, that isn't good for you. Right, right, right. But it's like, but that's who they are. And for right. as much as they try to diversify the menu, they're, you know, would, will the consumers, uh, you know, think about McDonald's when they want pizza or Chinese food? Or, or it's like, no, nah, it's got to pretty much look like a burger before we're going to go to McDonald's. And changing, <laughs> but changing an established brand is really, really hard. Yeah, it's just so interesting because you just blink your eye and all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. And it worked for a long time. And, you know, and it, it's not even just about tech, but it's about our culture. Yep. You know, our culture is evolving and moving and um, things just change all the time, you know. Well, yeah, um, yeah. That's why I like that slide. Like I said, great to go on in one generation. Because, you know, it, it's like, you know, think about Blockbuster. You know, uh, 10 years ago, Blockbuster was on every street corner, was doing well, had a huge market cap, uh, and, and now they're gone because suddenly people are streaming movies. Uh, right. <laughs> and, and, well, no, no, but it's like, um, but that's a case, though, where, uh, you know, their imagination didn't include the, uh, you, know, you know, those kind of external challenges, right? They worried about, you know, people that were renting tapes and then DVDs not that oh you won't go to the store at all right right or that the or that the entire cable over the top ecosystem would evolve in a blink and um you know and content would change and windowing would change and yep. millennials would come into the world with completely different consumption behaviors and all the madness you know that now ensues so are a lot of these companies that you're advising are you do you have the it operationalized to guide them with change or is it more you know you know are they doing more of a consultative thing where they'll call you up and ask you questions or do you have a process for sort of shaking them up uh i, I well, usually i'm working with disruptors you know the, the folks playing offense more so than defense uh with the the, the my favorite technique for working with people playing defense, the incumbents, uh, and I did this with a large chain of newspapers, is I said, okay, two, groups, two constituencies, readers, advertisers. I said, why do they come to you? Why do readers come to you? What, what information are they looking for? We wrote all that down. I said, okay, now, um, and, and how loyal do you think those readers are on a scale of one to ten? And they said, oh, I probably not very loyal. I said, okay, where, where else can those readers get that same information? And we made this like whole list and did the same thing with advertisers. And I said, okay, so here's what we've learned that you've got relatively disloyal reader or not loyal readers that have a high opportunity to substitute. You've got relatively uh, disloyal advertisers who've got a high degree of substitutability. I said, so how comfortable are you feeling about your business right now? And... (laughs) Well, no, in this particular case, the CEO, uh, you know, in, in, in my prep, he says, look, he says, if you haven't terrified them, you didn't do your job. Right, right, right. And, and so, so then it was like, okay, let's start, let's start to, how do we reinvent the business in a way that is sustainable, where we've got differentiated products with bigger competitive moats that are, you know, that have a higher lock-in factor. 
but 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 it's almost like a, like this twelve step program, you know, uh, incumbents anonymous, where what you've got to do <laughs> is, you know, the first thing you got to do is accept that you got a problem, and that starts with my 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 consumers are not as loyal as I think they are, my competitive moat isn't as wide as I think it is, and those things that I that people said they would never do and I believe they would never do, they're probably going to do. Yeah. And, and is it the CEOs, the C-suite, that you're having these conversations with? It has to happen at the C-suite because, you know, it's, it's very rare where a, a committee of nice guys get together and revolutionize the business. <laughs> uh, well, well, no, no, no. It's like, oh, well, I don't know. Let's, let's, let's throw a bunch of people in a business. Let's, you know, the, the successful cases, there's only about four or five really good cases. Um, Lou Gerstner did it at IBM. Steve Jobs did it at Apple when he came back from the wilderness. Uh, Marvel Comics is a good one. Uh, but, but in most cases, you know, uh, you know, think about IBM in the mid-90s when Gerstner came in. Uh, it was a hardware company. It was a mainframe company. And most of that employee base were mainframe people. And he's like, yeah, that business kind of stinks. We're getting out of it. Right, right, right. And he was willing to get rid of all those people Say, you know, we're going to be a software and services business. We're going to be... To restructure, right, to restructure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. When, when Jobs came back from the wilderness to Apple in the late 90s, it was Apple Computer. They were a computer company. And he's like, you know, that's not such a good business. And, and he made an entertainment and lifestyle brand with iPod, iPhone, iPad. And color. <laughs> right, which nobody, which nobody asked for. Right, right, right. Well, wait, listen, when we come back, uh, we got to take a break again. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, where you can hear more from Peter. And um, I know you're constantly publishing. And um, any interesting trade shows, conferences, or things that you're going to be attending that you think um, our listeners should, should hit. So we'll be back soon with Peter Haran and the Tech Cat. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the key point of contact between consumers and brands is technology StoryTech, a boutique agency empowers you to use that tech to deliver your message engage your customers and raise the bottom line how do you track and exploit the trends how do you stay ahead of industry disruption and how do you maximize profit from content from strategy to execution, the answer is StoryTech. Inform, innovate, create. Visit us at story-tech.com. That's story-tech.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Nussbaum with the Anthem Foundation. Premature birth is the leading cause of death of babies and disabilities for children. That's why we support the March of Dimes to help mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in supporting cutting-edge research, treatment and outreach to help moms during their pregnancy, and give every baby a healthy start in life. Learn how you can help at marchofdimes.org. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. This 
this is the Tech Cat Show with Lori H. Schwartz. If you want to find out more about our show or to leave a comment or question, send an email to Lori at TechCat.tv. That's Lori at TechCat.tv. Welcome back, everybody, to our last segment here with the fabulous Peter Haran of Haran Media Tech Advisors. And Peter, where are you going to be in the next few months? Like, where, where should someone who wants to keep up with all this madness be? I mean, what, what do you do? You put yourself at every tech conference there is? Not every tech conference. So one thing, like I said, I I, I, I do go to CES, where obviously you lead. Brilliant, insightful tours. Stop, uh, stop. So there's, but but that has become, and it's funny because it used to just be TVs and stereos, and, and now you are actually seeing a lot of what I think are the most significant trends pushing onto Main Street. It's it's home technology. You know, we call it the Internet of Things, but it's it's mostly being installed by alarm companies. You know, these are you know now. You're going to have that ability to say, "Oh, did I forget to lock the door? You know, did I set the thermostat? Um, did I put the alarm on and do right, it from your from, phone from from your car on your phone from your autonomous while you're car. stuck in traffic, putting on your makeup, right. reading the newspaper? Um, <laughs> um, no, but um, but 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 that is actually now we're starting to see uh, it actually works. It's not this weird Mister Science hobby project. But, you know, the, the guys know how to come out to the house, hook up the lights, hook up the alarm, hook up the, the, the lock on the back door that you can say, oh, did the contractor remember to lock the back door? Oh, damn him. You know, lock it. Um, and that actually works. And, and, and that's going to be an increasing part of everybody's daily life is just that home automation. Um, and, and I think that's big. The other thing which has been big for the last three or four years has been wearables. Uh, you know, the Apple Watch is kind of the big, sexy new product, but it's Fitbits and Jawbone, things like that, though, where it's, um, you know, just monitoring, you know, kind of the measured self uh, continues to be really good. Um, so are, are you going to then wearable conferences and are you also going to, you know, connected home things or do you tend to, you know, go to the, the the larger ones that umbrella those topics. I go to the, a lot of the larger ones, but also I spend a lot of time, you know, doing old shoe leather research. I go stand in the store at the Apple store and or at Best Buy and just watch people and talk to them while they're shopping. Do you like, really? So you do your own focus group stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, oh, well, why why are you looking at that? What are you interested in? You know, I'll, I'll talk to people, you know, on the street on airplanes and hey, so. I see you wearing an Apple Watch. You're happy with it. What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? What's it what do you use it for? Uh, do you, does, does it do what you thought it was going to do? And I'll just talk to people. Again, I, I trust those kind of behavior things. Uh, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, wait, I look at you talking into your wrist. Do you really make phone calls on your Apple Watch? Uh, and, and so I tend to lot of, The other thing, by the way, before I, I sort of lose you or you lose me, that I'm fascinated by, we haven't talked about, is, is like the 3D printer making, maker uh, Space, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think we have barely scratched the surface of, of that kind of three D printing and modeling. Um, yeah, that world that world is is fascinating. You know, I was just at Macy's today, and they have built out a whole section of the store in the bottom of the store in Herald Square d- devoted to millennials, and they had a whole bunch of three D system cube printers there printing jewelry. Yeah. Wow. You know, in the Macy's, in the millennial section. So I thought that was a mind blow. I have never seen that before in my life. Yep. 
But I'll say, you know, by the like, way, that's the other... Such a... Dedicated to millennials, yeah. you yeah. know? No, and that's the other thing which I think is significant is, uh, you know, people have tried to have a millennial strategy, which is, you know, something X. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's like I've got Sports Illustrated X, and it's my millennial strategy. And it's like, no, it's the same tired old brand that skews towards old people, but, you know, putting an X on it doesn't make it hip and millennial. You know, millennials are now the largest single cohort within the workspace. You know, they've passed boomers, they've passed Gen X, uh, and there's a lot of evidence that they're fundamentally different than other generations. They think about things differently. And uh, I think companies need to really start to think about a, a millennial strategy, which, again, starts with a, an understanding of millennials and not a hope that millennials will grow up and read newspapers like their parents did. Yeah, I, I wonder um, if that'll be true of mine, who is a, what would you call today, today's six-year-olds? I don't know, kind of post-millennial. Yeah, post-millennial, I guess they're calling them uh, something else. Well, um, I know that we have to wrap it up soon. And um, just as a, a last uh, you know, mention from you, t- tell us where we can read more of the things that you're posting. Uh, HaramMediaTech.com, H-O-R-A-N, Media Tech, all one word. And uh, I, I post all of my stuff there. I post pretty much everything on LinkedIn as well. So LinkedIn and my own blog site. And um, are you going to be doing any speaking soon that we can come and listen to you? Anything coming up in the near future? Nothing in public in the near future. I'm doing a lot of, <laughs> pri- no, I'm, I'm doing a lot of private company stuff and small group stuff. So And just stuff in your bathroom and like yeah, wherever stuff, you could. <laughs> I speak in the shower. <laughs> so it, it was great to talk to Peter Haran of Haran Media Tech Advisors. And again, you can find him on his blog. And he is just one of those folks that always seems to be able to pull a lot of disparate ideas uh, from a lot of different places um, and, you know, put it all together in a, in a way that really makes sense to us. And I always love talking to you and just picking your brain. Um, and just as a, a last minute thing, what is your favorite company right now? Like what's the, you, you know, your, oh. the company that you're really paying attention to? That you may not be working for, but you're just really turned on by. Um, I don't know about turned on. <laughs> that may give you a different answer, but um, I am hugely respectful of what Amazon is doing. It's sort of fast. It's fashionable to always say Apple to answer every question, but Amazon is. You know, if you think about their original premise of we're going to sell books over the internet. Uh, to now where you buy lawnmowers over the internet, they sell fine wine. Uh, hugely impressed with what they are doing. Um, and, and just how they have built the infrastructure. You know, there, there are three huge competitive advantages in this marketplace. We're seeing it play out. There's cash, uh, customer touch points, and low friction logistics. And if you say, that's where Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google are rolling across all these different categories. And I think one of the best of those is Amazon. And just like last week, you know, Bezos had invested in the Washington Post. And suddenly, it's an upgrade to my Prime membership. I get it free for six months, and it's four bucks a month. And it's like, oh, well, that's easy. Sure. Right, right. I'll take the Washington Post. Uh, and, and so they're always coming up with some way to just make commerce frictionless. And I always feel like I had a good experience and a good deal, and I can't possibly complain. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Amazon is that article, that New York Times article, shook me up a little bit. 
you know? Yeah. And, and see, I guess and maybe that's one of those things where I've been around the Valley for too long because, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's that bumper sticker, you know, well-behaved women rarely make history. And <laughs> not, no, no, but, but it's like, but you know what? Nice guys rarely start tech revolutions. Uh, no, it's true. It's true. I, I get that part. I get that they're all going to be kind of, you know, a little bit of, of difficult people or divas or whatever it is or Asperger's or whatever. But the the human treatment piece is, oh, yeah. is what I'm concerned about. Oh, yeah. The, no, H, no, no, no. the HR I, piece, you know. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, many years ago when I was running the Microsoft account for Ogilvy and Mather, I was in a room with Bill Gates where I watched him just destroy a product manager. I mean, like where this, he's like, he, he personally attacked this woman to the point where I think she peed her pants and ran out the door, got in the car, drove away, never came back. Oh God. In front of a large group of people. Right. Right. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. As I've seen, I, I've seen uh, Steve Jobs. In fact, the only guy I say is genuinely a good guy is Michael Dell. Uh, he's like one of the really, really good human beings. Even when he's like, you know, when he's been on top and down, he's always sensible, level-headed, good to work with, good to talk to. But a lot of the other ones have got uh, borderline personality it, disorders. Right, right. But the, and that's what kind of you know drives them. You know, I believe me, I've had this debate with friends on and off that you know, do you have to be basically an asshole to survive and to win? And uh, the the answer remains unanswered. <laughs> yeah. Although, by the way, I would say for anybody who wants to kind of a different look at things, uh, there's a PBS biography on Walt Disney where, you know, Uncle Walt would have fit in Silicon Valley. He was, I mean, I don't think he was ever, a, like, rude or crude to people, but he was demanding, harsh. Uh, he would work people all day, all night. Uh, he was completely driven. And but again, that, that's why there's Disneyland. Is that right, right, it, it came right. from that sort of monomaniacal driven vision, and it was you know it's like and I, yeah it's like like oh, like a, like a, I love a lot of these guys' products. I love their work, but I don't want to work with them. Right, that's right. Well, um, on that note, uh, we have to say good night and goodbye <laughs> to the fabulous Peter Harris. Good night and good luck, um, as Edward R. Murray. Good night and good luck. That's right. So great to hear from you and join us again on the Tech Cat Show. It has been a great pleasure talking to Mr. Peter Haran of Haran Media Tech Advisors. And we'll see you next week. Tech trends impacting your business. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 